0: Uh, This afternoon, we pray that your word would be very much alive in our hearts, that uh, as your word comes to penetrate, uh, that it would do what only it can do, that it would literally spring out uh, to touch us and speak to us, run after us, and hold us dear. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So hope is discovered in the night of adversity. We're in uh, week three of this. And we're discovering that many times, uh, more often than night, prosperity isn't in in the day, isn't when things are going really great. Um, It's discovered uh, in the night of adversity. That's when Stars shine um, a little bit brighter when we're challenged by life, when things aren't going the way we want, when we don't have a utopian um, life. Um, so we're, we're talking about what hope is. We're talking about what hope is not. And we've talked these last couple weeks that, that hope is not about trying a whole lot harder. It's not about putting it on your shoulders because what happens when we put these expectations on our shoulders and when somebody says follow step one through ten and when you hit number ten you will have achieved everything it actually doesn't make things better it makes things tougher because we say we failed i was told or i read in a book that if i followed one through ten My family would be good and my finances would be great and I would achieve that level and I would obtain that thing I really, really desire. But you know as well as I do that life is not that easy. Sure, it can happen at some point. But life is not that black and white. Go from here to there, you obtain, close the book and you're done. And this is why we keep speaking to ourselves this often, hitting refresh and going back to it. It's not about us, but it's about what he's done for us. It's about us getting out of the mindset that we have lived in for such a long time. This is why getting under the word of God often is so healthy and so good. This entire week when I woke up, my son, to get up to go to school at 6.30, 35 ish 640-ish to get him ready, the very first thing he said every single day this week that I can remember was, Dad, do you know that the Riddler has some goons at work for him and they're henchmen and I haven't been able to destroy them on Lego Batman? Those are his first words. He opens up his eyes and that's what comes out of him. Many times life is, I don't even care what I'm listening to right now or appreciating the moment because I am so tied up and wrapped up in X that what's coming to me now, it doesn't really matter. So my prayer for all of us as I prepare weeks in advance for stuff like this, it's God, meet us today where we're at today, whether that be a mountain or whether it be a valley. And that's one thing that only the Word of God can do, that we would hit pause, say, that's what I've heard before, but what is God speaking today? His Word. Not my opinion, God's Holy Spirit. And He says it's not about trying harder. It's not about wishful, whimsical, close your eyes, clasp your hands, and it'll come. Hope is a lot is about a whole lot more and it's a confident expectation in the hand of Jesus. See how that changes things up from autonomy and uh, self-sufficiency to it's not about me, but about Him. My Father in heaven, the one who wants me to have a relationship with Him. He's saying, have confident expectation in my hand as a perfect and good Father. What else is hope? It's vital. You can go days without food. You can go days without water. You can go some time without air. Believe it or not, we can go for a moment without our iPhones. But hope is vital. Not one second can we do life without hope. Without the expectation of a better reality. What is his kingdom come? What is his will be done? That is hope of his restorative and loving power. Hope is in the who. Because if not, we go back to the whimsical, to the fleeting, to the misting, to the, if I just get X, then I'll be okay. But when life crumbles, as it often does, in many ways, that's how it feels for me right now with some very personal things that are going on. What happens when I don't obtain that X? Well, again, I fall into despair and anxiety. But what happens when hope is in the power and the presence and the person of Jesus Christ What happens when I hope regardless of what I have or what I don't have? What if hope is in what he has achieved? The forgiveness of our sins. What if hope is in you and I waking up every day and him saying, I am with you, son. I am with you, daughter. What if that is true hope? Last week we spoke about how hope is often ushered in through suffering. Remember we we spoke about that metaphor of it being like an unwanted jackhammer that comes and puts us in certain situations and it jackhammers away that self-sufficiency, that autonomy, those unrealistic expectations. He says, but I am much better than all that. Here's the thing about Jesus. He requires a whole lot more than we ever want to give, but he provides a whole lot more than we ever thought we could have. And that unwanted jackhammer is a loving hand from a loving father. And hope is all about living. All about living. And that's where we're going to spend uh, time today. We've got a choice. We get busy dying Because there is no hope. It is only dark. And there is only despair. And we want our way. Or we get busy living. One of them is no hope. And oh, get busy dying. There isn't anything to look forward to because everything that you want so bad you don't have causes despair. Or what you do have doesn't satisfy completely. C.S. Lewis says that if we're not completely satisfied by anything in life right now, it's because we probably weren't meant for this life At the end of the day, because there's something so much weightier, so much better. And he's talking about the presence of Jesus Christ one day. So why do we tend to get relationships or toys or jobs or certain things in life? And why are we not 100% satisfied? Those things aren't bad. Those things are great. Hand of God. He creates, right? He gives gifts to his children. But 100% satisfied is because he says, I am the one who provides 100% satisfaction. So there's one choice where we say, not that kind of hope, and then despair and anxiety, and then there's getting busy living, because we know hope, K-N-O-W. The power, the presence, the care, The powerful hand of God guiding us through things that we would never walk into. Because we love comfort. And I'm there with you. But when we look at his life, right? The man of sorrows, as the Bible describes him, the one who people saw and turned their back on and rejected. his best friends he was on the cross and his best friends are standing there and they're saying i don't know him and we chatted a little bit last week that servants are not greater than their masters students are not greater than the teachers but he says this and here's the good news He says, I am hope, like my power, my presence. He says, know me and know me intimately. How do we know him intimately? How do you know him intimately? You spend time with him? Like every day? Not in a closet locked away? Like are your actions, your reactions, are they guided by his voice, by his whisper in here? He says, know me intimately. He's speaking all the time. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Not cosmic, not distant. He says, breathe in. Put yourself on pause. Let my spirit work through you. He says, no hope, K-N-O-W. And that's how we get busy living a relationship we say often, right, I love in motion that it's not about religion. Religion is do more, achieve more, jump through hoops more. And then what happens when we fail? We find ourselves back at square one. I wasn't good enough. Or when we achieve really good, we're good enough to obtain. And we're earning ourselves to it. That's the danger about religion. Do put it on yourself. What is Relationship. He cares and loves so much that he came down. He did it all. It is finished. John nineteen thirty. It's done. No hope. K-N-O-W. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I'm here with you right now. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12, before I get into it, describes the passion of Jesus Christ. This is what the passion of Jesus Christ is. He's about to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. There are no innocent people. We've all failed. And he's going to have his father turn his back on him and reject him. And pay the price for your sins, for your transgressions, for my junk, for my funk, past, present, and future. His father's going to say, no, turn his back around because his father is holy and perfect. And he says, I sent you. And you're going to die on a cross and you're going to be tortured and mocked and spit upon. And there's going to be a crown of thorns be put on your head. And there's going to be nails that come through your hands and through your feet. And they're going to stab you in the side. And people are going to spit on you and humiliate you and reject you. So this is the passion of Jesus Christ. What got him through the passion. What got him through separation. The thought of separation from his father. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race were in. Study how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed, an exhilarating finish in and with God. Because of that, because of that, he was able to put up with anything along the way the cross, shame, pain, rejection, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. The long list of hostility that he plowed through. That will surely shoot adrenaline into your souls. The author of Hebrews is reminding us, number one, the pain that Jesus Christ went through. The human Jesus Christ. The human side, don't over-romanticize the Bible. He felt the pain, he cried the tears, he sweat, he felt the lashes on his back opening up his skin. What got him through that? What was set before him? Yes? Yes? He knew that for a moment there was going to be separation from his father. But he knew what was coming a reunification with the one he loved and adored the most. That's what got him through it. He set his eyes on the prize capital P, his father sitting right there in the place of honor again. Hope is kind of like a runner. A runner knows where the end is. And if you're a runner or an underwater swimmer or, is that the only kind of swimming, right? An underwater treadmill runner, that's what I wanted to say or if you're a biker, or if you're a climber, you have some kind of hope, right? That you know where the end is going to be. You know that when you're climbing that rock, you know that when you get there, you're done. That gives you hope. When you set your app, and you're running, you know that when you get to that distance, that's your that provides hope. Hope, right? Hope is kind of like that. So, what is the prize? What should get us through the night of adversity? Well, we look at the example of Jesus Christ. He knew that he was going to be right, belong, uh, beside the Father again. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. To be able to experience the full weight of his glory. What does that mean? What is being able to experience the full weight of the glory of God? What does that mean? What does it mean to be in the presence of Jesus? Well, it says that there will be no more tears. It says that there will be no pain. It says that calamity will end, it says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more brokenness, no more suffering, no more broken relationships, no more wants, no more desires, because in his presence, the fullness, the weight of his glory will satisfy everything. So why is this so tough? Because we haven't achieved that right now. We're not in his presence 100%. This is going to be one day when he comes back and for those who are his children, his sons and his daughters will be in his presence 100% pure joy. So here's a challenge where we can listen to these words and say that's not good enough for me right now because if I just had what I want right now then that would give me 100% pure joy. And I'd be lying and I'd be setting you up for failure if I say you're right. When you get that, 100% pure joy. Because guess what? when you get that, the challenges with that come. There is no 100% satisfaction or pure joy here on earth. I think we're all mature enough to be able to understand that. I'd be a lousy pastor if I stood up here and said, you know what, you're right. As soon as you grasp this, That's it. You'll be happy forever. Adam and Eve had everything. They didn't have to work. They didn't sweat. They walked with God in a garden. Had everything at their disposal. Guess what? Was not good enough for them. Chose their own way. So we're encouraged by the example of Jesus Christ in the night of adversity and that wanting in the pain in the sleepless nights perhaps in the rejection, in the despair whatever it might be for you. He says, I'm with you. And like the hope that a runner has, he says, one day you will enjoy 100% satisfaction. That's hard to grasp. That's hard to chew on. Because in all of our humanity and all of our flesh, we're like, but what about now? I can't answer that. I can't. But I know that God in his goodness tends to surround us with people to whisper in our ear constantly, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's how he uses his people. So, is this hope only for the future? It's a part of it but it's not strictly for that. In the future, it looks like this. It looks like security in him. Let me break that down a little bit. It means that there is nothing that you and I can do that will ever snatch us away from the hand of God. Let me say that again. Is that as a son and as a daughter of god there is nothing that you've ever done in the past nothing that you can do today or nothing that you can ever do in the future ever 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 you keep the voucher open blank it says that there is nothing that we can do that can ever snatch us away from him we are secure in him isn't that good What do you have secure right now? Guaranteed. 110%. If you have an answer to that, then something's wrong. There is nothing that's secure. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Not your job, not your health, not your joy. Nothing is 110% secure. But think about this promise, what he says about his children. Think about why this hope is so good for future. He's saying it doesn't matter how many times you fall. He says, I'm pursuing you as my daughter 100% of the time. He says, and you are secure in me. Nobody can snatch you away from my hand. John chapter 10. The enemy can never come and snatch you and take you and say, oh no, that was a mistake. That's the tie to the future. That should lighten our burden from our past, but even for our future. How does this work for us today? Why is hope a good thing today? Because we can stop living for ourselves. Right? Think about that. If our future is 100% secure in His hand and we know that one day we will be 100% fully satisfied and experience 100% joy in His presence, if that is true, then how does that affect us today? It means that we can stop living for ourselves. It means that a lot of tangible stuff that we want for us, for ourselves exclusively can change to look at our neighbor. Maybe the person who's sitting next to you right now. Maybe the person that you work with. Maybe that person that you really don't know so well, but this is how it works. Because I am secure future, today I can spend today living for them, loving them. And that just jacks with all of us. Why would I spend today for somebody else? Right? What have they done for me? What if they never do anything for me? And then we go back to the very basic, the very original, if you will. He says, Love God. He says, love others. And you can do that because you have hope in me in the future and present. And I am holding your hand. I am satisfying. So we get busy living. For three weeks, I've asked this question. Do you believe in God? Majority of folks would say yes. Do you believe the God that you believe in? Different question, right? Different story, different implications. Do you believe the words that we just read, and that I try, as best as I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate to you? Do you believe that there is 100 percent full joy in him? Do you believe that that freezes us up to live for each other today? No strings attached. Do you believe that the way that people will know that we are his are by serving others? Do you believe that in us losing our life, we really gain our life? Do you believe that our life is like a kernel seed and when it falls it dies into the ground but then that flourishes to give fruit. Do you believe that or do you think that's just a good teacher who said some words but those words have really no weight for you and I today? That's why it's good to ask these questions. I believe in God, sure. But when I read something that I don't agree with, then I don't choose that. God's not a buffet where you say yes, no, more of that, less of that, keep that away. He is King, capital K, Lord of life. Let the words that you hear here on a Sunday Let them do what only the words can do. It's never about me up here. It's about me trying to faithfully set us up to see the kingdom of heaven come into our lives. And what if we have dropped the ball? What if it has always been about us? What if there is a whole bunch of self-sufficiency and autonomy in us? What if we do struggle with saying, I believe God, but not everything. He says, just repent. He says, acknowledge and repent. I've had that word up there, repent, for at least the last six, seven weeks, and even in a different series that we were doing. I have admitted that that's one of the things that I struggle with the most, when I drop the ball, it's really tough for me to look at somebody and say, I'm sorry, but it is so healthy because it breaks me. And guess what? My autonomy is shattered with that jackhammer of love because it's not good. Pollo does not have it all together. And maybe you're a little bit like me. Maybe not. But being able to come to your Father, your Heavenly Father, and saying. I'm sorry, so healthy, just grows you more intimately close to Him. I know the times that I've looked at my wife or my kids and have had to look at them in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, I dropped the ball, will you forgive me? And shut up, not, I'm sorry because of what you did, really push, me. no. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I put the power in their hands. Those are the most beautiful times. I shared with um, maybe a few of you during this week, we had some drama at my house, some nine-year-old daughter drama at my house earlier in the week Um, And my daughter went a little bit crazy and I got a little bit frustrated and i was not understanding why she was so emphatic about this. And I'm thinking, we can just resolve it real quick. And I'm like, let's deal with it. And at the end of the day, I had to stop, look at her and say, what is it that you need from me? And she told me, and you know what? I was able to do exactly what she asked me. It didn't cost me anything but patience and dying to self and repenting because I looked at her and I said, sweetie, I'm sorry. I know I could have handled this in a different way. Did I have to do that? No, she's nine. But it's healthy for my heart because if I can't do that with my nine-year-old daughter, I'm surely not going to do it with the king of the world can I tell you something beautiful that happened from there? She went to the kitchen, she grabbed a plate, she cut up some apples, she grabbed some cereal, and on a plate she decorated something that said, Love you, Dad. And she put a little post-it on and said, Dad, thanks for caring for me the way that only you can do. Paraphrasing. In case you see it on Facebook and you say, Boy, that's not what it was. Don't accuse me of uh, not quoting it letter by letter, word by word. But do you see the beauty there of what happens when we die to self? It gave her life. She looked at me as if nothing had happened. She actually wound up encouraging me. Thanks for caring for me, Dad. What if we did life like that? Like this? Like this? Like this? Like this? Work, live, play? Alright, I went off there, right? It's about, namely, this relationship, right? Sorry, guys. And then often we hit refresh. I have a good friend who I was speaking about this several months ago. And I was talking about hitting refresh and she said, boy, it's kind of like your iPhone. When you hit that little button at the bottom, it takes you to the home screen, right? You know what we have to refresh ourselves with very often? That he is alive to give, to serve, and to love us. Every day, we speak that to ourselves. He is alive To give, to serve, and to love us. God, the creator of the world, he says, I work for those who wait on me. It's not a humiliation to say that he works for us. Mark 10.45 says that he came to serve us and not to be served. Hit refresh often. Early in the morning. Before you think about the Riddlers, goons, and henchmen. Think about that he is alive that day to serve you. He is alive that day to give you. He is alive that day to love you. When you're having a bad day at the office, hit refresh, go back to that. Push the little home screen button, go back to it. And finally, perhaps one of the most beautiful and mind-blowing parts about this is rest often. Rest often in His work. It is finished. And the work is perfect. And there is nothing to be added to it. It is finished. Period. Not it is finished dot, dot, dot. Jesus, we pray that in the night of adversity, we would remember that there is hope, capital H, and that that hope is you, the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Let that give us the motivation to get busy living.